Life Audio. The How to Study the Bible podcast is brought to you by BibleStudyTools.com and is part of the Life Audio Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith affirming podcasts, visit LifeAudio.com. If you've been in the church or in the faith for a while, if you've endeavored to follow God, this is a temptation that we all face. It's a temptation to believe, God, aren't I good enough to get the best from you? And by the way, when we say something like that, what we're saying is, aren't I good enough to get the best from you as I define what the best means? We decide what circumstances we want, what yeses we want, the way that we want God to bless us materially or relationally. We're naming those things and saying, God, haven't I done my part? Shouldn't you be doing your part? And that is a very dangerous and a very easy mindset to slip into if you're quote unquote a good person. Hey everyone, welcome back to How to Study the Bible. My name's Nicole Eunice. I'm so glad to be with you. Hey guys, a little update on the podcast. I'm going to be taking a break for the summer, taking a break from lots of things. Um, My other podcast, Let's Be Real, social media as well. I think there's a little bit um, out there I'm feeling in the world right now where um, maybe leaders who've been very active in lots of different channels um, are all sort of feeling the same thing, which is it's really important to rest and it's really important to make space. And sometimes even good things because good things are all around us, right? We're all choosing between lots of good things often, but even good things can distract us from the best thing and can slowly sort of lead us away from like the heart of who we are and who God is. And so just really as an act of discipline, I'm going to be taking the summer completely off, offline completely. And um, I'm glad and grateful for all of the spaces that I get to operate in. And I'll be leading um, here in Richmond. I'll be leading at a church here in Richmond called Hill City. Um, So you can certainly look up Hill City and join us online on the live stream or um, anywhere that you kind of can watch on YouTube or Facebook or whatever. But in general, I'm going to be stepping away and I'm looking forward to the space, looking forward to what God has to show me and teach me in this season as well. So my friend Drew, your friend and mine, my friend Drew Daniels, will be coming on for a little mini series here and we'll be pointing you to some other resources, some other podcasts and some replays over the next couple of months and then we'll be back. Okay. So that's the plan. Um, Thank you again for listening. This will be a great chance for you to catch up. If there's any series that you've missed or any series that was really meaningful to you, you could always circle back on those and, or you could do what I've been trying to help you do all of this time, which is to go to your own Bible and to do your own Bible study with your study Bible, follow the alive method Also, this is a great time. If you haven't actually done the book, which is called Help, My Bible is Alive, if you have not gone through that 30-day experience that's specifically designed to help you learn how to use this method so that you can just sit down with your study Bible and a journal and the Holy Spirit, and you can have a conversation with God and learn from Him, this is a great time to do it. So you can find that book anywhere books are sold. Help, My Bible is Alive is what it's called. It's I call it my 30-day Bible boot camp. They didn't want to name the book that, but that's what the book's about. It's really 30 days to get you from point A to point B where you really feel comfortable with the method that we use here on the podcast. So those are a few things that you guys can consider in this summer. And I would love to ask you to pray for me. I'll be praying for you that this would be a season of rest and renewal um, and insight in wherever you find yourself in this season. 
Hey guys, we're here because the Bible has changed so many lives. So just take a second and think about if you didn't have access to a Bible or you weren't even allowed to have one. This is a reality that many around the world are facing, which is why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language, and that's where you come in. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my new book, Not What I Signed Up For. Simply text STUDY to 71326 to help today. That's S-T-U-D-Y or visit give.crew.org slash study. Again, that's give.cru.org slash study. Message and data rates may apply and available to U.S. addresses only. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. We're wrapping up this parable series. This is our last session on this series, Stories Jesus Told, and we're picking up on the story of the lost son, the prodigal son. And so if you didn't listen to last week's, you may want to go back to that one first. Um, We kind of set up, right? We're looking at three main characters in this really rich and beautiful parable. And the father is the one that is in both last week and this week. And we talked about the lost son and kind of the way the lost son engaged with the world and what he learned about grace through this experience. And today we're going to talk about the older son, which is kind of the second half of this parable. So we're in Luke chapter 15. Um, If you've been reading along, you know that the parable starts in verse 11 and we get this first 10 or 12 or so verses that are about the story of the younger son who asked for his inheritance, even though his father was still alive. His father allowed him to go. He squandered all of his wealth in a foreign land. He found himself alone, hungry, uh, jobless, friendless, penniless. And in that moment, it says in verse 17, he came to his senses and he began to think about how he was going to bargain with his father to just be accepted back as a servant, not as a son. He knew that what he had done... uh, Uh, was so wrong that it would be so ridiculous to believe that he would be accepted back after the way that he had treated his family. But what we know in the story, the twist of the story, is that the father runs to him, receives him, accepts him. It says in the story we talked about last week, this idea that his father had compassion on him because he knew the woundedness, the hurt, the consequences of sin. And he's received back. He's called back as a son and he is celebrated. And then we pick up the story and a new character emerges. We know about the older son, right? Because he's mentioned in the beginning of the parable. And what you'll want to know, a little backstory, is that the way an inheritance would be split is that the older son always gets a double portion of the inheritance. And that double portion was not touched by the younger son, right? The younger son took his share and went and squandered it. So picking up the story in verse 25, it says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. 
Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Ah, and then the story ends. It just ends on this cliffhanger. It ends on this courageous conversation, this moment of truth, this moment of reality, where I just imagine this father of compassion and generosity looking with eyes of love towards his older son. And we do not know if the older son received his words. That's just the end of the story. And so let's kind of look at what's happening here in this passage, in this second half of the parable. And when we ask the question, what does it say? So the first thing that we want to know is like, obviously, the older son has a double portion of the inheritance still coming to him. It's not like his younger son. The younger son didn't take anything from the older son. He didn't take any of what was kind of rightfully his. Okay, so this this anger, the animosity, the resentment that we feel from the older son has nothing to do with something that's happened to him personally, right? But we do know that a family is a system and a family is a system where everyone impacts the other and everyone's impacted by each other. And I don't know what life had been like in this home. I don't know what kind of grief the father carried, what kind of sadness was in his heart for his lost son, how that might have affected the older son. But what we do know is that when this celebration, he's on the outside of the celebration and he sees it happening, what happens in the older son's heart is quite the opposite of what happened to the father's heart. And his heart is filled with resentment, filled with anger, and he refuses to go in. And when he refuses to go in, we actually get sort of this mirror picture. We have the same kind of action that's happening that happened with the younger son. We now see it happening with the older son, right? The younger son went far away in his heart and in his body. And what we're learning now is the older son is far away in his heart, and he is also physically outside of the party. And in both cases, the father goes to the sons, right? The younger son comes to his senses. He begins to return to home. When he's a long way off, his father runs to him to receive him. We know in the second part of the story, the older son has left the celebration or has never entered into the celebration. He's refusing to go in. He's staying outside, and the the father also comes to him also steps outside of the party to come to him. So we kind of have the father really mimicking the same actions, but the reactions of the sons are so different. So when his father comes out and asks him to come into the celebration, to be a part of the celebration, he responds and says, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. The one who is an actual son compares himself to one who is a servant. The one, the younger son, who really ran away from the family and squandered everything, doesn't even think he deserves to be a son. Meanwhile, the older son is like, I feel like you've treated me like a slave. That's how I've engaged with this life and this family. And I wonder what that would have felt like, the grief 
in the father's heart when he said, everything is like, I'm a slave for you and I've never disobeyed you, which is really um, about a conditional relationship, right? That's like a contractual relationship. I do my part, you do your part. And he's like, hey, I've done my part. I've done my part for you. There's no love in this space. And you wouldn't even give me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Now, what we know about the the context, I mean, the, the, the father's character, what we seem to know about the father's character is it's just like nonstop generosity, right? Like the younger son asks for his inheritance. He's not even supposed to get it until his father dies and his father gives it to him. We know that his father lavishes love on him when he returns. I don't really think that the father would withhold a goat for the older son, but his mindset, his frame of mind about his relationship with his father in contrast to the younger brother is one that says, I'm a slave for you and you wouldn't give me anything. And the father responds with everything I have is yours. You've always been with me. All of this is yours. And he pleads with him to say, let's celebrate and be glad. Let's have compassion. Let's have grace for your younger brother. And we don't know if the older son is willing to respond. So we know the backstory, right? We talked about last week. And now we can ask the question, well, what's really the principle here? And I think in a lot of ways, our principle is exactly the same as it was last week. The principle is that it's by grace we are saved. It's the same principle that we found three weeks ago when we talked about the banquet. It's by grace we are saved. And I think this quote about sin that I read for you last week, it's no one, it doesn't, no one knows who to attribute it to. So we're going to call it an anonymous quote. Um, it says, sin always promises more than it gives, takes you further than you wanted to go and leaves you worse off than you were before. Now for the younger brother, that sin is very noticeable. It's a measurable kind of reaction, right? We know he went from money to no money. He went from a uh, wonderful standing in his family to being so hungry he wanted to eat the pods of the pigs that he was working to feed. We know he went from being generous in relationship to having no friends. Like it's very obvious what happened, how sin interrupted his life. What's less obvious but just as prevalent is how sin interrupts the older brother's life. Sin always promises more than it gives. And we know that this older brother had been fostering this resentment about the way that he's treated in his family. And it says it leaves you worse off than you were before. And we know that this older brother won't even go into a party. Like the fattened calf is killed. The meat is on the table. There is good eats and good drinks and good music going on. There is joy and celebration and lavish grace going on, and he is a part of it. He, he's actually a, a part of the main inner, inner circle of the family, right? And he refuses to participate. And I just think about this idea of like, who's outside the party? Who's outside the party now? Because the younger son knew he was outside the party, and he wasn't even didn't even think he deserved to get back to the party. But the older son's always been in the party. He's always been in the party, but he refuses in his heart to enter in. And his father in grace still goes to him. He doesn't wait for him. He still goes to him. He pleads with him. He tries to get him to see reality as it actually is. But the question is, was the older brother willing to change his mind? Or did he want to hold on to his resentment and hold on to his understanding of justice? 1 John chapter 2, verses 9-11 through 11 say, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. 
but whoever hates his brother is in darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. Hey guys, we're here because the Bible has changed so many lives. So just take a second and think about if you didn't have access to a Bible or you weren't even allowed to have one. This is a reality that many around the world are facing, which is why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language, and that's where you come in. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my new book, Not What I Signed Up For. Simply text STUDY to 71326 to help today. That's S-T-U-D-Y or visit give.crew.org slash study. Again, that's give.cru.org slash study. Message and data rates may apply and available to U.S. addresses only. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. Friends, my sadness in this parable is that it feels like the one who is closest to home is the one who has allowed sin to blind him from his own reality, to blind him from his own need for the same kind of lavish grace that he's seen poured out on his younger brother. And if you've been in the church or in the faith for a while, if you've endeavored to follow God, this is a temptation that we all face. It's a temptation to believe, God, aren't I good enough to get the best from you? And by the way, when we say something like that, what we're saying is, aren't I good enough to get the best from you as I define what the best means? We decide what circumstances we want, what yeses we want, the way that we want God to bless us materially or relationally. We're naming those things and saying, God, haven't I done my part? Shouldn't you be doing your part? And that is a very dangerous and a very easy mindset to slip into if you're, quote unquote, a good person. But I think that really the the clarion call of this parable, the fact that this one is the one known more widely than any other story people inside and outside the faith know. I think that's because the clarion call of this parable is just so human. It's just so human. Our comparisons, our wanting to measure up for ourselves, the ways that we get lost, the ways that we get blind. If I was going to rename this parable, I would say it's about the lost son and the blind son. And the father who goes out to his older son's where he's standing outside the party says, are you willing to open your eyes to see that all that I'm doing right now has always been available to you? It's always been a part of our relationship. That is the gift. The gift is right standing with me and belonging in this family, but you're choosing to take your resentment and your comparison and make that what this is about. 
And boy, is that convicting to me. I know that I fall into this mindset all the time, this mindset that's like, why are you giving them what I want? Or how come you're not coming through for me, God, the way that I think that you should? And that's a dangerous attitude because what it does is it blinds us to our own sin. The real struggle, the real trouble in this passage is that the older son actually thought he was right. He thought he was just in what he was demanding and what he wanted, and his act of justice was blinding him from his own sin, blinding him from his own anger, his animosity, his resentment, his entitlement, because he wanted to name how it should be, even though, remember, he was nothing was taken from him personally. Both are receiving gifts, right? And inheritance is always a gift. You don't deserve it. You don't earn it. It's a gift that's given. And both were given gifts. And in fact, the older brother was going to be receiving a double gift. But yet his own ideas of his justice, his righteousness, were blinding him from receiving the expansive and generous, uh, beautiful, merciful grace, the abundance of grace that's given out. So when we ask the question, what does this mean for me? Maybe you, like me, can find yourself in the story of the lost son and the story of the blind son. Maybe you, like me, just need to take a moment and say, am I willing to enter into the party when I feel like I want to stew in my own resentment or my own ideas of justice? If God extends grace to me and invites me to the party, am I willing to dance? Do I live a life where I'm like waiting to dance all the time because God's grace is so good? Am I willing to receive from God? Am I willing to take off my own uh, way of seeing the world and actually engage deeply to ask God to show me how generous his grace is toward me? Because the more we receive the generosity of God, the more generous we will become as people, generous with our love, generous with our compassion, generous with our mercy, generous with our time, generous with our laughter and our enjoyment of life. That is really what we're here to do is to receive God the way that he says we have to receive him. It's by grace that we are saved. And anytime we leave that road, if you get off the path of grace, you are on the wrong path. Even if the path looks good, even if you think you're doing the right thing, if you're not on the path of grace, you're not on the right path. And that's really what I think Jesus is teaching us through this parable. So friends, I hope that you'll continue to reflect on that. I spoke about the Rembrandt painting, um, I believe, last week. And in this painting, um, the younger son's being received by the father. And if you pay attention to the way that Rembrandt paints the hands in this painting, one of the hands um, that represents God is a very masculine, strong, protective hand. The other hand is painted more feminine, a more nurturing, merciful hand. And I want you to picture yourself in the loving embrace of your heavenly father, who both uh, surround you with his provision and his protection and his strength and his nurture and his mercy and his love, you are right in the middle of the arms of God when you receive his grace. And friends, that is the only place that you will ever feel truly at home. Go in peace, everyone. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to How to Study the Bible with Nicole Eunice, a production of lifeaudio.com and the Salem Web Network. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey, and edited by Stephen Sanders. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. It really does help people find us. To learn more about Nicole, you can check out her website at NicoleEunice.com. Her book on how to study the Bible is called 
Help, My Bible is Alive. And you can find a link to that, plus a link to Nicole's site, in today's show notes. Hi, I'm Zach. And I'm Randy. And we're from Salty Saints Podcast. We're a theology and apologetics podcast. To find out more, subscribe at lifeaudio.com.